Well, today we want to uh, continue uh, where we are in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 10, and last night, last night, last week, uh, we, um, we really ran out of time at the very beginning almost, right? And so we just gave a little introduction about uh, Cornelius, and, and just by way of reminder, a couple of important things that what we're going to read now in chapter 10 and half of chapter 11 is really the beginning of the outreach to the Gentiles. Uh, and um, it, some have even referred to it as, you know, chapter 10 as Pentecost for the nations, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, uh, and so it's really very important. What's important is, uh, uh, you know, uh, some things about Cornelius and some things about Peter and uh, very importantly, uh, as Luke, the way Luke describes this, uh, you know, we have to really pay attention to his words because he's bringing out some very, uh, very important truths. We know that um, going back to the beginning of Acts, uh, you know, Yeshua said, beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And that is kind of the way the book of Acts is laid out. Uh, at the beginning, it's Jerusalem, Jerusalem Jews. Peter's speeches in Acts 2 and 3 in, in particular are, are messages to the Jewish world about the restoration the, and the coming of the Messiah and a return to God. They're not, he's not speaking to them like pagans. He's quoting passages of Scripture and saying, return, return to God, very much like the prophets. But this time, the subject matter is Yeshua himself. And then slowly we see it unfolding to uh, Hellenistic Jews uh, and uh, people in Samaria, uh, perhaps even some proselytes along the way. Uh, but now when we come to chapter 10, clearly uh, Cornelius is a uh, Roman. He is a military uh, leader. Uh, uh, but what's interesting is, is that he has an affinity to the uh, Jewish world, yet he is not himself a proselyte. But as we will see in future chapters, if, if, th if this was a topical study, if I wasn't going through the book, I would turn to some other places and show that uh, we will see soon in a couple of chapters that the gospel goes to a, uh, to a particular Roman person that almost seems scandalous. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll see that. This is not so scandalous because we see that he's a devout man and, and he prays and he's spoken very well of in the Jewish world. But clearly he is not Jewish. And that is accentuated by the fact of who he is. Uh, and we talked about who he is. He's a centurion, led an Italian cohort, uh, lived in Caesarea, uh, all of that just says to us here that uh, he uh, was not Jewish. And so Luke really brings, uh, brings that out. In verse 2, it says he, he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continuously. I mean, Luke is clearly telling us something. Devout, you know... That word, that Greek word is used in other places in the New Covenant to mean godly, translated godly, you know? So a godly man, he feared God with all his household. 
uh, and gave many alms. Alms is kind of an interesting word here, Elias. It, it actually is a word that um, in the Septuagint was the word, the main word for chesed, the main word for loving kindness in the Septuagint, okay? Uh, and uh, uh, in, in, in the Brit Hadashah scriptures, it is often, the, the root word is what is often translated as mercy, mercy. But alms is clearly about giving, giving uh, charity, charity. Now, this word is used mostly in uh, the Book of Acts, uh, alms and uh, the, the exact uh, uh, Greek uh, word. It's only, it's used a few times uh, in, when Yeshua says, you know, don't let your right hand uh, know what your left hand is doing when you give charitable, <laughs> basically. But it's used a number of times uh, in the book of Acts, very interestingly. It is used, most, interesting, most interestingly for us, this very same word is used in chapter 9 in verse 36. If you have your Bible nearby, about Tabitha, right? It says, this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she did continuously. The word charity is the same word as the word for alms. Same word, okay? I, and last week I said, or a few weeks ago, I said, in, in Judaism today, that would be the word tzedakah, you know, giving tzedakah. And chesed is more about just giving of yourself from the heart. But uh, when it says here uh, he, that he gave alms and she gave charitably, uh, it is this word that speaks of mercy. And so to Luke, evidently, this was very important. People that, that gave to the poor, much like our Torah portion. Remember, it said aliens and widows and orphans over and over again. Aliens, widows and orphans, those who are vulnerable, right? Uh, that is what we're called to do. Well, here, uh, both Tabitha, who's raised up from the dead, and uh, Cornelius, who is going to have this great experience with God, were really living by the, that Torah way of life, Right? And it, and it isn't that, that, that by living that way, they earned a relationship with God, but certainly we read that Cornelius is demonstrating a godliness. So I think you know, one of the great truths uh, uh, that, that we learn from all of this is that just because a person is devout and fears God and uh, gives uh, charitably and prays to God continuously, that they need Yeshua. Uh, that this it wasn't good enough uh, that Cornelius was a mensch. It wasn't good enough that he was a big uh, philanthropist. It wasn't good enough that he prayed all the time. It wasn't good enough uh, that he feared God uh, and was devout in, the, in his way of life. It was good, but it, but it did not take away his sins. It, it, you know, I, I, it did not uh, bring forgiveness of, of his sins. Otherwise, it would have been, uh, it would have been enough, as, as we would say, Dayenu, you know, it would have been enough. But clearly, he is a godly man uh, and a, a, a non-Jew on top of it. But clearly, he needs uh, Yeshua. And, you know, there are many verses uh, in uh, the Bissell Road, in the Gospels, where 
we read that Yeshua is saying, you know, no one comes to the Father but through me. No one. And it's important that we understand that even though he's talking to the Pharisees and others, we should not get, not get the idea that, that they were all bad people or something. There were godly people among uh, the, the people that he was speaking to, you know, but they all needed Yeshua. They all needed Yeshua. A challenge for us in our world is to really get it in our heart and in our head that we can see good, godly people all around us, but they still need Yeshua for the forgiveness of their sins. Every single person. And this text really brings that out. Okay. Uh, now, uh, in verse 3, it says, uh, About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision, an angel of God who had just come into his house and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers for, uh, and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier. Isn't that interesting? A devout soldier uh, of those who were in constant attendance with him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so uh, what uh, Luke is doing is he immediately tells us not that Peter has a vision, but that Cornelius has a vision. An angel comes and sees him. God is doing something here with uh, uh, Cornelius, right? Uh, and he recognizes this as a, a representation of the Lord. What is it, Lord? Uh, and the angel says to him, you, you know, God has heard your prayers and he has seen what you, you know, how you conduct yourself. And, uh, and there's a little mystery here. He says, dispatch some men to Joppa and go get Shimon, who's called Peter. Okay. Uh, and he's going to uh, and bring him to your house. He doesn't say why. Isn't that interesting? He just says, and bring him to your house. Right. Uh, and, and so we see that, that Cornelius dispenses men, and we see uh, Luke tells us one of them is a, is a devout man, a godly man, evidently also someone like uh, Cornelius, who was not a proselyte, but had an, an affinity to the God of Israel. And so they come to uh, Peter. Now, meanwhile, God is at work in Peter's uh, heart and in his life. And uh, it, it's uh, time to pray, time for the offering, actually, in Jerusalem. Uh, and so Peter is hungry, okay, uh, and he's praying at the same time, all right? And so he falls into a trance. He has a vision. And we read in verse 11, And he beheld the sky opened up, and a certain object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten 
anything holy and unclean. Okay? And again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed, uh, no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, Peter, got to read this carefully. He does not understand it. Okay? Uh, Peter does not come away from this vision saying, I'm free. I can eat pork chops all I want now. Right? He does not do that. He is... He, he does not understand this as now the uh, dietary laws are abrogated. He does not see that. He's confused, in fact. He doesn't understand it. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having, uh, having asked directions, for Simon's house, they didn't have GPS in those days, right? I, I asked directions for Simon's house, that's Simon the Tanner, right? Uh, and appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who's also called Peter, was staying there. There's many Shimon's in this passage, right? Okay, now, isn't it interesting? Peter has this vision. And he's perplexed. He doesn't understand what it is. And right at that moment, we, we read here in verse 19, and while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, says to him while he's thinking about this vision, three men are here looking for you. Arise, go downstairs, and go with them without any misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Okay? So not only does Peter see this vision of the animals, but immediately at the same time, the Ruach speaks to him and says, go where they want you to go without any misgivings, with a clear conscience. All right. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason why you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a Roman centurion. It's first words out of their mouth. I'd be thinking, they, what, uh, am I in trouble with the Roman centurion? What, what does a Roman centurion want to do with me? Okay, but then they say, a righteous and God-fearing uh, a man well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Now, it's interesting because first, when Cornelius, this is already the second time we're reading about Cornelius's vision. And it's very important for us to get here Luke could have shortened this. He could have just said that the men said, come to my house, because we already know what the angel said to Cornelius. But Luke purposefully repeats it. He repeats it in the writing of Acts, so that we, the reader, it would like really resonate with us that an angel spoke to Cornelius, an angel spoke to Cornelius. 
And the first time we read about it is just send, go and get Peter and bring him to you. Now, the second time we read it, Luke adds and hear a message from you, right? And now Peter is supposed to give a message, right? And, and so uh, now uh, Peter understands. Now he, he's supposed to go to this Roman centurion's house. Now in that day, in the late second temple period, uh, Jews and Gentiles, from a Jewish point of view, I'll just say from a, a Jewish point of view, uh, it wasn't about, uh, you know, I'm afraid about eating unclean food. But by the time you get to the late Second Temple period, Gentiles were already considered as like unclean. Unclean, like to be around. That's not, not just the food. I mean, according to oral tradition. Uh, as a friend of mine once wrote, it's not about the menu, it's about the men. You know? Uh, and that, yes, there were the dietary laws, uh, but it was a given that they would not break the dietary laws. But what had happened over time in the oral tradition, and you can read this in... in in rabbinic literature in lots of places, uh, that what became unclean were the Gentiles, okay? So for Peter to go to a Roman centurion's house and to go into his house, and you'll notice that there is, a, that Luke accentuates the house. He went to his house. He went inside the house. There's his household, that this was considered forbidden, Okay. Uh, and uh, and we'll see in uh, a little bit later on, the view of the apostles is how could you go and eat with them? But I'm going to suggest it wasn't about eating unclean food, but how could you share table fellowship with them? How could you sit at the same table with them? And I would suggest that is also what's going on in Galatians when Paul recounts chastising Peter. It's not about the food. It's about how could you be hanging around them? Or, or, or how, why did you separate yourself from them in Galatians? Why did you separate? It was a social issue. It wasn't the food issue itself. It wasn't what was being ingested was not, was not the issue. And I will also say, because a lot of people lay on top of this uh, vision of Peter other passages of scripture that are un totally unrelated, like Mark chapter 7, where it says, and Yeshua declared all foods clean. That had to do with hand washing, not about kosher versus unkosher food. Uh, and so very important that we get this straight, okay? Uh, and so uh, clearly, Luke is accentuating the fact that Cornelius uh, has a visitation by God and that Peter is being sent to the home, to the household of Cornelius to speak to him, and God is directing it, and Peter should go without misgivings. And so uh, Luke is telling us that. And, but Peter had to be prepared, and, it, and evidently it wasn't enough that the Holy Spirit told him to go with them, uh, and it wasn't enough to hear the testimony of an angel coming to Cornelius he needed something himself. He needed to see that vision because, in other words, he needed a lot of proofs that this was an okay thing to do. 
He, you know, uh, he had himself a vision. He, the Holy Spirit guides and directs him. He hears the testimony of Cornelius. He needed like a overwhelming evidence that it was okay for him to go to Cornelius. And what this shows us is how spectacular this is, that Peter, an apostle, a five-star apostle, you know, uh, you know, this is not um, uh, a Judas or, or, or one of the lesser known apostles. This is like a five-star apostle uh, being sent to the home of this Roman centurion, even though he was a devout man still. And so this is what Luke is bringing out. So it says, so he invited them in and gave them lodging. On the next day, now in verse 23, I, on the next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So just like Cornelius had his people go to Joppa, uh, Peter has his people come with him to Cornelius. It's, it's like... Uh, you know, this is a major, major event, right? Then it says, on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and he called together his relatives and close friends. It was not just, this was not Cornelius and Peter meeting in a parking garage someplace, if you know what I mean. You know, this was, uh, uh, this was Peter coming to the home of this Roman centurion and his family and his friends were there. You had men from Joppa there. This was a major moment. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, whoa, 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 stand up, man. I am just a man. Uh, and so it just goes to show you that Cornelius, while he had an affinity for the God of Israel, he still you know, didn't exactly have it exactly right you know? And he talked with him. He entered and found many people assembled. And he says it again. He entered. The, the idea that Peter enters Cornelius's house is a big deal. He goes into the home of a Roman centurion. And he said to them, you yourselves know. Now, verse 28, if, I don't know if you like to underline things in your Bible or highlight them. This is a huge verse, okay? Verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner and to visit him. Yet God has shown me that I should not call any man holy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objections when I was sent for. And so I ask, for what reason have you sent me? So very interestingly, Peter seems to have some understanding now that now he understands the vision. And notice it's not about eating food. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner. Unlawful, not in law, like Torah law, but in our social law. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the traditions, Right. It is unlawful for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. You know, associate, but to go into his house, right? But yet God has shown me that I should not call any man holy or unclean. When we just let the text speak for itself, this is the understanding that God has given Peter about the vision. And on top of it, 
the Spirit of God told him to go without any reservation, and that's what he says. But very interestingly, he says, Peter's not coming like with the four spiritual laws here. He's not, he says, what, what do you want from me? What do, you, what do you want, right? What can I do for you? Why have you sent me? And now Cornelius is going to tell him the story again. And Luke thinks this is so important that for the third time in this chapter, we read about an angel coming to Cornelius again. We read about the angel coming to Cornelius more often than we read about the vision of the animals. Isn't that interesting? Interesting observation, right? So in verse 30, Cornelius said, four days ago uh, to this house, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, or uh, to this hour, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. Now we know more. The angel was, had shining garments on, right? And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and invite Simon, who is called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent to you immediately, and you have been so kind enough to come. Kind enough to come. The hospitality and, and showing a dignity to this Roman centurion. Peter, the first thing, the fact that he goes into his house, he hasn't said a word about Yeshua yet, right? But he goes into his house, and to Cornelius, this is really a big deal that you will come into my house. You will pay attention to me. Very important uh, uh, to us. Now then, we are here present before God to hear what you have to say, uh, what, you, what you have been commanded by the Lord. Okay, now we see there's more. Luke unfolds a little bit more. That, okay, you're, you're supposed to tell us what you have been commanded by the Lord. Okay, now, for this week, we are going to move down all the way now to verse uh, 44. Okay, because the message that he gives, that is a message for us all by itself that we'll talk about next week. But so Peter explains to him about Yeshua. The next while he is speaking, he is interrupted. And it says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message and all the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, had been poured out upon Gentiles too. For they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God. Uh, and then Peter says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be immersed who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So Peter has a vision of the animals. Cornelius uh, is, has his visitation by an angel. The Holy Spirit tells Peter to go with them. And on top of it all, now the, uh, the uh, reception of, of these Romans by God to the message of Yeshua and the salvation that he provides is evidenced by the fact that they're evidently speaking Aramaic or something, because Peter says, 
They're having the same experience that we had. What happened to them is what happened to us. Wow. Who can deny them the waters of immersion? And so they get immersed. And so what Luke has done in chapter 10 is showing us that this is a big gob thing. Uh, and I would suggest that the reason that he uses the animals uh, is uh, because the animals certainly would depict clean versus unclean, you know? But clearly, he's not talking about the animals. There is no way that God says to the Jewish people, okay, the Messiah has come, so disregard the Torah. You, you know, that doesn't even make sense, right? Uh, and, and so it's about bringing the message to the Gentiles. What I find fascinating about this is, is that there was so much social pressure on Peter not to go to the home of Cornelius, that he needed a vision, he needed the Spirit of God to speak to his heart, he needed to see the evidence of the uh, languages of tongues, and he needed to hear the testimony of Cornelius four times, right? Uh, to, uh, to say, I guess I can go to Cornelius's house and I can share this message with, with him. And then very quickly, in chapter 11, Word got out about this, right? Word gets out. The apostles and the brethren throughout Judea were hearing that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Now, Peter comes to Jerusalem, and now, poor Peter, man, he is on the hot seat here, right? Uh, those were, they took issue with him. Those who were circumcised took issue with him. The Jewish believers took issue with him. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. I would suggest it's not about the food. It's not about the menu, it's about the men. It's about that you had table fellowship with them, okay? I, uh, I, and, and so then he says, And Peter I began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence. And then he goes on to say that he was in Joppa, he, had a, he was in a trance, he saw a vision, uh, he saw the animals, uh, just like uh, we read in chapter 10. And this is the second time that we read about this vision. Isn't it interesting? To Luke, he, he keeps telling us about Cornelius's visitation of the angel, but here we read about the animals when, when it happens to Peter, and then Peter explaining it to the apostles, okay? Uh, and, uh, uh, and so then he says in verse uh, nine, of chapter 11, but a voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times. And then he goes on to say, uh, at that moment, three men appeared before the house in which they, we were staying. And I, uh, they were from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. And so he goes to Joppa and he tells them, how he goes uh, uh, to Joppa and uh, how Cornelius had seen an angel standing at his house. And he uh, now he repeats again Cornelius's vision. And Luke is assured to record this again, how uh, uh, Cornelius had this uh, a vision. I, and then I, uh, he says in verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them 
just as he did to us at the beginning. And then he says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how we used to say, John, immersed with water, but you shall be immersed with the Holy Spirit. If God, therefore, has given to them the same gift as he gave, gave to us also after believing in the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, who was I that I could stand in God's way? It is nothing here to do with food. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, I didn't eat anything wrong. No, the whole thing is about bringing the message to the nations. There's no word in any of this about eating food, just the clean and unclean vision. Then in verse 18, and when they had heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And, and uh, we'll stop there. But we needed to get in that part of chapter 11 because it goes right with the, uh, the story. So what is, what is our takeaway uh, from this? Clearly, God was at work, and Luke is telling us. Peter did not have some big idea to go to Caesarea, uh, you know, but that God, this was all the work uh, of God. Right. So the takeaway for us was that it was tradition and not Torah, which kept Jews and Gentiles apart socially. OK, I will talk about that in our Torah study today. It's quite clear. All right. I in the Torah and even in our portion today, what Jews were to keep away from was pagan worship practices, marrying pagans, paganism. It was about paganism, not just simply non-Jews. Aliens were non-Jews, you know? Uh, and clearly, a kindness to aliens is a very important value in even in our uh, a Torah portion, all right? It is clear that Yeshua reached out to Gentiles. I don't have enough time to read the passages, but you can read it for yourself. In Luke chapter 4, when Yeshua goes into the synagogue and he preaches on Shabbat, right? After he's done, they say, I, I, we love him. I can't believe he speaks so well. But then he goes on to talk about Elijah and Elisha and about how they ministered to non-Jews. Very, very important. Uh, and that's when Yeshua said, no man is welcome in his own country, because he knew that, that uh, he was going to have, he was going to be castigated uh, for this issue. In John chapter 10, uh, we read in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold, right? He's talking about the Gentiles. Clearly, the calling of Israel uh, to, was to be a light <clears throat> to the nations. We read about the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 42, 6, and in Isaiah 49, 6, a light to the nations. We read in other places, uh, in Isaiah chapter 19, that the day is going to come when the Assyrians and the Egyptians and the Jews are all going to be worshiping uh, uh, God together. So it is not about Jews and non-Jews as, as human beings. The Torah does not speak to that. Uh, but eating the unkosher food, that would be an, a worship issue. Uh, but by the time you get to the Second Temple period, uh, this, this is a huge uh, issue. Paul addresses it in Ephesians chapter 2. It is not that, uh, you know, when he says the enmity is removed, uh, it is not the Torah law that is removed. It is, uh, it is edicts of oral tradition that has been removed. 
Uh, and so very important uh, that, in other words, it was tradition, it was the culture, that is what had to be challenged, not the Torah laws. And that, my friends, is a major issue for us today, uh, that we have to ask ourselves, uh, is it our culture? Is it the way I was raised, brought up, that I think about people and different people groups in different ways? That enmity has been removed, and it is depicted for us here with Peter and Cornelius. You see? And so it's not just about Jew and Gentile in the 21st century today. Gentile is the majority of people in the world. Gentile is made up of hundreds of ethnic groups and nationalities. And we have to ask ourselves, whoever I am, do I view other people groups with a, you know, with a, uh, with a negative eye uh, that I just think badly on them? Maybe, you know, subliminally I think bad about them or I would never articulate it, but, but uh, I don't like them or I don't want to have to do with them or it's not who I am or, or what I have to do with. And we need to make sure that we read chapter 10 real carefully and understand, and we will see it next week when we look at what Peter actually says to Cornelius. What he says to Cornelius uh, is very important, but we know it in general as the good news, right? For Jew and Gentile, but also Gentile and Gentile. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So very important that this challenges us, uh, you know, in, uh, in that way. So that is really a big takeaway for us. And as we approach the High Holy Days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, how important uh, it is for us to remember that, perhaps to repent of attitudes that I've had toward different kinds of people or groups of people, uh, or perhaps uh, God is calling you to reach out to people that you normally would have nothing to do with. You know, I, uh, perhaps uh, God is prompting you, the Ruach is prompting you to share the good news or to be a blessing, to show kindness, to give charitably, to give alms perhaps, you know, I, to, in ways and places where I'm just not used to going to those people, you know? And I think that is a big challenge for us because that is what we have here in chapter 10. This is God's answer to the problems in our world today. And we need to demonstrate. We need to show it, you know. And of course, the heart of it is the gospel. Obviously, that's what he's bringing out. And next week, we will talk about the message that, is, uh, that Peter shares. All right, real quickly, let's pray. Lord uh, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see this in our own lives. May we be, as it were, as Peter, living one way, but, but being challenged in our culture, being challenged in our own oral traditions uh, about how we view other people, whether it be our next door neighbor or other people groups or people that live in another part of town. Lord, I pray that this week you might put people in our path that might make me a little uncomfortable and that I might see that as, wow, an opportunity to say a good word, an opportunity to share Yeshua, an opportunity to show kindness in some way. 
Uh, and Lord, I pray that we might do that. And just as it took four or five different ways for, pe for Peter to get it, Lord, I pray, God, that by understanding his experience and Cornelius's experience and how different and dynamic this was, that we might be able to do that too. We thank you, God, and we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.